You are all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction, so stay together, both outwardly and inwardly, with humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You have one body and one Spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God who rules over all, works through all, and is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permitted with oneness, but that doesn't mean you should all look and speak and act the same. We take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. Well, hey, Mountain. Good to see everybody. Glad you're with us. If you're a guest, welcome. I'm Ben, one of the pastors here, and a special shout out to our friends at our other campuses online, wherever you're joining us. Glad you're with us. We're in week three. It's a series we're calling Under Our Skin, and it's really important stuff. Glad you're here for it. Hey, let me start with a question. Have you, um, can you think of the last time you were shoved? Last time you were kind of pushed? Remember that? Yeah. Oh, I got, I got a volunteer right here to... Tell me. Uh, yeah, we probably all can. You can think of a time where you kind of either jerked or pulled or pulled out of something that maybe where you were sort of comfortable or didn't, you know, and then the next thing you know, you're kind of shoved someplace. You know, it's kind of an, it's an odd. <laughs> what is up here? Hey, Eric, what's up, man? I'm just listening to you talk, man. I like your voice. <laughs> cool. Hey, um, it's kind of my time here, bro. I'm fine. Go ahead. No, no, seriously. You, you can. Uh, I think it could be a distracting if you're back here. No, I'm just. They're listening. They're no, no. I mean, ser- seriously, why don't you. Uh, oh, push. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Fine. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, heck out of here. Anyway, once in a while. Once in a while, we need a little shove, don't we? A little push to get where we probably need to be. You know what I'm talking about? We do. All of us. I, I remember one time when I was a down, a new, kind of a new beginning downhill skier, I did not know that there were little color-coded signs on top of the slopes that told you how dangerous they were. I was like a green weenie newbie skier, and I should have been experimenting with the blues, but instead there was this thing called a black diamond, and I went over with my little skis, and I'm kind of like shuffling over to look down and see what it is. Black diamond means don't go there or you'll die, but I didn't know that, and so many of my buddies thought they were cute, and they came, and they gave me a little what? A little push, a little shove, and down I went. Yep, mostly on my backside, I will point out. Okay, you've probably had a a shove like that. You know, one of the worst things about cell phones, one of the worst things about cell phones is that now when you're at a pool party, you can't push anybody in because they're always like, what do they say? Oh, oh, I got my cell phone in my pocket. That was like my favorite pastime is pushing people off the dock, off of the boat, into the pool, but now it's like, oh, you can't push me in. We're, as a society, losing our ability to push people in pools simply because of cell phones, which is a great loss, in my opinion. So, yeah, we, we like, we like um, to be shoved not very much. It's kind of annoying sometimes, but the, the fact is, sometimes we need a shove. It kind of helps us sometimes and introduces an adventure that we wouldn't have otherwise experienced. I mean, that day when I was skiing, I actually ended up going down that same black diamond about 14 times because I had a blast. I probably never would have had someone not given me a... Sometimes we need one, right? If you've got someone like over 37 who's one of your offspring living in your basement, they might need a... 
Push, right, exactly. It is sometimes necessary. Two little girlfriends like, oh, I don't want to go into the party. I'm so scared. There's all those people in there. I don't know them. What if that guy's in there? And she finally just grabs her and pushes her through the door. And she's like, I'm so glad. That was awesome. I'm so glad. He was so cute. Okay. So once in a while, we need that push. And it introduces an adventure and gets us someplace good that we need to be. And doesn't a lot of it come down to who's doing the pushing? Whether we trust them whether we know they love us, that changes a little bit how you feel when you get a push or a nudge or a shove. So here's the deal. Jesus is pushy. God is shoving all the time on you and on me and on his people. The Holy Spirit wants to invade the space of our minds, our hearts, and nudge us in the direction of his will for every area of your life. There's a nudge and a shove from God. The call of God is not just to sort of get this warm blanket thrown over us of comfort, but there is always this shoving, pushing, disrupting, moving nature of God about us pushing us toward the will and the way of God, toward others, toward love, toward reconciliation, toward His mission, toward away from ourselves, away from fear, away from anxiety, away from, toward bringing people on earth to heaven and bringing all things on heaven to earth. And that's why some people don't like the real Jesus and don't like real Christianity. They want to make up a version of it that just sort of is the warm blanket, make me feel good about whatever I want to feel good about. But we don't have that freedom. If you hang out with the real Jesus and read the real Bible, you're going to get shoved and pushed. And one area that he's kind of pushing and shoving on me and on you, I hope, and I think on our church, and I feel like in our whole society right now is just this question of how deeply, how fully, how really are you going to love how far does your love go? Do you really love all people all the time? Because what happens is we have these comfort areas where we feel comfortable being with certain people and not with others, and our love has these limits. And specifically when we get to this issue of race and culture and ethnicity and, 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 these kind, and class differences and so forth, we tend to stay to ourselves and our own kind. It's just how humans naturally function. It's, it's comfortable, and some would say it's easier, and so some would conclude it's right, but God's Word has a shove to give us on this. But the fact is, 86% of churches in America are what you would call homogenous, meaning homogeneous, meaning we keep to our own kind. It feels easier. So the title for this series we're calling is Under Our Skin. Under Our Skin. We took the title from the book by Ben Watson, New Tight End for the Ravens. Great guy, great book. Recommend it. Pick it up. Good stuff uh, out there. But we're using the title because it speaks so well to how on the one level we know we're all the same under our own skin. We're all God's creatures. But yet on the issue of race, man, nothing gets under our skin quicker. Riles us up, fires us up, and, and gets us angry and upset about so many different things. And yet we also know thirdly that that the solutions do not lie on surface level political or, or legal um, ramifications. The, the solutions lie deep within us. Way down at a heart level, under our skin, because that's where the nudges and the shoves and the pushes 
from God outside of our comfortable zones of safety of our own kind where we move toward one another in love, that's where change happens. And it so happens that the church of Jesus Christ is the place that's supposed to model what that looks like. And friends, never have we lived in a time that more desperately needed someone to show what that looks like. We need it desperately. So I hope you'll be seeking, man, what's the mind of God? What's the heart of God? How can I be the hands and feet of God on this issue? What's God saying and what am I supposed to do about this issue? Specifically, how you can reach beyond your own kind and be a a healer, a peacemaker rather than a pot stirrer. Beyond surface level politeness, but be a person who as a reconciler of God brings deep healing and hearing as we walk, work, and worship together as one in Jesus. So here's kind of what happens and how this gets under our skin, I think. At an early age, and you watch young kids, toddlers, it's kind of cool. They're pure, innocent, and they all get along. They don't care what color skin anyone has. They just kind of love people or don't like them, whatever, but it usually doesn't have to do with skin. They just kind of accept people who are different. But soon we kind of grow up and we become a little more adulterated. We start to hear things and learn things at an early age, subtle attitudes toward other people. We begin to see things. Our eyes, sort of scales come off. We see things about races and colors and things that are different at that family, in that school, in that church or that neighborhood from mine. And these subtle attitudes then develop a kind of us and them mentality that is just natural. It's what every human experiences and then we may experience something harsh or hard or hurtful to us and we make note we observe we point to the perpetrator and we say ah they're Asian ah they're Arab ah they're white ah they're black ah they're Hispanic and we make a note of that and usually what happens is we tend to then generalize about an entire race and we make some assumptions about others we meet and we start developing patterns that we make sometimes we're sure they're objective but sometimes they're in our minds we make additional assumptions and we form a quiet prejudice in our mind sometimes that's acted out in sort of racism ways in injustice but sometimes they just stay under our skin deep in the hearts of millions of ordinary good people like you and me who consider themselves to be fair and unbiased who have friends of all different kinds of colors and all of that still there is held some assumptions and some biases and some prejudices toward the other race and my friend that's actually the problem that's actually the problem way down deep there Because it allows us to sort of be polite on the surface and settle for a shallow, really, uh, relationship at work and in public squares that we share space. But it actually keeps us from demonstrating something real that's called love. Aren't you glad that the Bible doesn't say in John 3.16, for God so tolerated the world that he got along and didn't really have a problem with people. We seem to think that's the goal, is to sort of tolerate each other and get along and sort of, I don't have any problem with them. But that's not the goal. The goal is love and coming together. 
So racial solutions aren't going to be found, therefore, in political reactions. I'm just going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say um, that, you know, yesterday uh, in Washington, D.C., um, an interracial couple was there in public and some white supremacist dude came and stabbed him because he didn't like him. I'm just going to go out on a limb and I'm going to predict that politics is not going to solve that problem this week. What do you think? Are you with me? I think it's probably a safe bet. The solutions to these kind of issues we're talking about aren't going to be found in laws that clamp down on supremacy groups or um, in finding scapegoats uh, in the FBI or in lax gun checks or, or massive government programs and all these kinds of things. No, it's not going to happen that way. The solutions, when ordinary good people like you and me look inside ourselves and are honest about assumptions we've had and, and we are honest about the biases we may have formed that have gone unexamined and unchallenged by the test of actual personal relationship with people who are different than us and unchallenged by the actual message of the power of the gospel itself. Do you see what I'm saying? Two things have to change. We actually have to have relationships with those that we've formed those relationships about and we have to have an encounter with the Jesus who shoves. And when those two things happen, it, it kind of challenges and uproots and shoves us to new places and friends, we desperately need a new place. God reached for us. He crossed lines for us. He loves us. And, and, and some of us have said, oh great, I'm so glad I'm in. Now us four, no more. Close the door. It's time for a little shove and a push from God. I love Ben Watson's book and many, many parts of it. Um, I, he said at one point, he says early on, he says, I confess. Here's this very open-minded guy. He's a black guy. Very open-minded. You know, I uh, really appreciate his self, but here's what he said. I confess I have prejudices and I've made assumptions about white people as a whole. Even though some of those assumptions have been proven wrong through my individual relationships, I still cling to them. I confess I generalize such prejudices across an entire race. I confess I've harbored thoughts against white people that while maybe not entirely racist, haven't been fair or accurate or truthful and they've been judgmental and hurtful. I've said things in private that have probably been judgmental about white folk. And when I heard him say all that, I instantly recognized that there's similar kinds of confessions that wanted to bubble out of my own soul and I felt like I think I'm being moved because I'm like the rest of us. I want to say I don't have a prejudicial bone in my body. But then God's spirit began to get down deep under my skin and this idea of other and me and this separating thing that actually the gospel changes. So let God push and shove you a little bit. And let me remind you that status quo, staying right where you are, is, is actually easier. But we're called in a society like ours to be unifiers and friend makers, and that's going to take a little shove. That's why the gospel, that's why the Bible says, you know what it says in 2 Corinthians 5? It says that you, if you're a Christ follower, are now given the ministry of reconciliation. Did you know that's in the Bible? That's what God says your job is, is to help make enemies become friends. Because of the power of what God does for us, now you go be an ambassador of reconciliation. That's, that means that we need a little push off our tush. <laughs> we need a little shove toward love. And today's the day. So, let's kind of backtrack and follow Jesus around a little bit and get, make sure we get this straight in our heads. You know, Jesus is, is kind of pushy, and one of the ways he did that is he just modeled when he was here on earth 
how to step across lines. He was always crossing barriers of ethnicity, class, and all this stuff that everybody says you can't do that. You can't talk to those people. You keep apart and all that. And he was always just bashing all those lines to death. When, you know, remember the day when, when they couldn't stand the Samaritans, those half-breed dogs. They were just not right. And you know, everyone knew to stay away from them and how much everyone hated the Samaritans. Jesus goes through Samaria. You weren't supposed to go through that part of town. He goes right in there. There at the well, he talks to that woman. He listens to her. She had been all sinful and messed up. And he listened to her. Her, heard her story, healed her, offered her living water. And they're like, what? Can you do that? And he's like, just try to keep up, will you? And his whole life is marked with those kind of barrier-crossing love. And he's always shoving the disciples in the direction of love as well. And then for his conclusion, he says, there's a great commission, Matthew 28. He's getting ready to leave. He says, now, therefore, go and make disciples of who? All people, all nations. The word is ta ethne. It means everyone, all nations. Now, I'm going to leave, but I'll be with you in my spirit. And when I go, you go. So I'm leaving and you go. You got it, guys? They're like, we got it, Jesus. Remember how I crossed barriers? You go do that. I'm leaving, but you go. And they're like, got it. He says, I'm leaving, you go. They're like, one more time. I'm leaving, you go. Okay, so he left. What'd they do? They stayed. They stayed right there in Jerusalem with their own kind. They were very comfortable. All nations, not so much. Just to stay with their own kind. Because they're the same way we were. We are. They just didn't like to be pushed. Why do we have to be pushed? Why can't you just preach a nice little warm blanket message? Because that's not how grace works. That's, without the push, you wouldn't have got invited in. But you are welcome here. And our job is to sort of be the same kind of includers that Jesus was. That's why he said go to all people. And we can't do that if we stay to our own kind in our lives and in our church. Now, shortly after that, they're kind of hanging out with their own kind, loving on each other like, this is great, high five. You look like me, I look like you. Let's do church. And then... Everyone started hating on the Christians a whole bunch. Persecution rose up, and it got really so bad, a lot of them just took off, had to leave town, run for their lives. And with them, they took the good news of Jesus, and they went to all the outlying areas where all the non-Jewish people lived, and they actually started multi-ethnic churches all over the world, and that's why you and I are here today. But God had to use a shove of persecution to make it happen. A change in their society got them to do what they were really supposed to be doing all along. And I believe... God's using a shove in, in, in our own time through a similar change in our climate and culture because we are now living in a multicultural world and the idea of just staying where we have been is no longer going to fly. Kids are heading back to school here in a few days. How many are glad? Go ahead. Woo-hoo. Yep. Only parents' hands up. Huh. Yeah, that's happening in a few days. And when it does, if you're not already back at school, um, ethnic and racial minorities will now make up the majority of students in public schools in this country. There's no longer a white majority population there. When I was born, America was 85% white. In my town, it was probably 98% white. Because after all, there was Robert. Anyway, um, soon we will be less than 50% white. And we can't ignore those kind of changes. It's one way that I think God is using then to give us a little shove toward love, a little push off our tush toward where we should have been all along. As Derwin Gray says in his great book, uh, High Definition Leader, yeah, he, he says the face of America is no longer just black and white like it was those old black and white TVs back in the day. 
Now it's high definition, colorful changes. It's all this beautiful mosaic of Asian, Latino, Indian, Middle Eastern, you know, Southern Hemisphere folk, a beautiful, colorful HD America. And in that kind of America, where, where you see that America when you walk in the mall and increasingly in neighborhoods and in schools and in nightclubs, you know, churches, that's one place where you get to choose who you're with. And if we can show that we choose that same diversity, then we have something to show. We've been the taillights on this issue. It's time for us to be the headlights on this issue and shed some real light on it. Otherwise, how are we going to say to somebody, hey, the power of Jesus is so strong, it can break down your addiction. It can break down that marital flaw. It can break down your moral character and help you become a new person. Oh, but it can't really heal the racial divide. It doesn't have power for that. No, no, no. It's got power for that. In fact, we need just to go back and look at the New Testament and realize that so much of it was written to prove exactly that point about the love and the power of Jesus to give us credibility today. We can't ignore this issue. We've got such a good message to give, but it's going to fall on deaf ears if we don't get this thing right. And that starts with you and me, way down under our skin. And I think God's using a changing time, a changing culture to sort of jerk us into reality on this issue. Remember, remember um, eight-track tapes? Yeah, me neither. I have probably a thousand cassettes in my basement. I don't even know if I have a player for them anymore. I went off to college with a Smith Corona typewriter. Seen one of those recently? Some of you don't even know what a typewriter is. Yep. Remember when Blackberry was all the rage and on the cutting edge of the uh, smartphone industry? What happened? Well, Google happened. Apple happened, Samsung came along, and, the, and they didn't necessarily adapt to the changes around them. Our world is no longer monocultural and monocolored, and the church can't be either if it's going to have any kind of credible witness in the world. That starts with you and me doing things to get beyond whatever dividers we've got in our head and our heart. And the only way it will happen is if we get a little uncomfortable, go where we've not been, get a little nudge and a shove and a push, and be an ambassador of Christ's love, a reconciler of Christ, or creator of unity, we're not going to settle for uniformity. You shouldn't. You shouldn't settle. We can't settle for conformity among Christians. We can't settle for homogeneity among Christians. We've got to build bridges and build a place where it says, you know what, this is for everyone and come into distance with each other and distance with God that's close enough that real change can happen. Oscar Romero, quote, A church that doesn't provoke any crises, a gospel that doesn't unsettle, a word of God that doesn't get under anyone's skin, a word of God that doesn't touch the real sin of the society in which it is being proclaimed, what gospel is that? So I welcome a little push off my tush. I hope you welcome what we need, and we need a shove toward love. First John 4. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God, and anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. It's hard, isn't it, to get shoved toward love? hard you know even the people in the bible the early heroes of our faith had such a hard time with this they accepted god's love for them but they weren't quite sure that it meant they were supposed to 
share that love and come into a close relationship with others. So the Jew-Gentile thing was really hard. Like Peter, one of the apostles that ran around with Jesus, he could not get over this thing. He could not get over this thing. And so he felt like some people were saying, hey, you're supposed to go hang out with these Gentiles now. And he's like, no, 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 I don't know if we can do that. That doesn't sound right. Because he was still thinking like a Jew rather than a Christ follower. And the Jews were supposed to stay away from the Gentiles. And he couldn't put it all together. He finally was praying to God about it one time. He has this dream. And God sent in this dream this sort of vision of all these animals that, according to their ritual purity laws, were unclean. Things they weren't supposed to eat. Ceremonially impure. And, and so the voice of God said to Peter, Hey, Peter, get up and go eat that stuff now. And Peter thought it was a trick. He's like, no way. I ain't touching that stuff. It's unclean. It's impure. And that's when God says to Peter, Acts 10, verse 15, the voice spoke and said, don't call something unclean if God has made it clean. And I love this. The same vision was repeated three times. Like, uh, I don't think he gets it yet. Send it again. Yeah, do it again. I don't think he got it this time. How many, you know, how many times do we need that vision? Don't, don't you go calling in your mind someone other, different, impure, unclean that God has said no. They're mine, and they're meant to be yours. You're meant to be one. Don't you go calling. We, we, we may need more than one, two, or maybe even three shoves on that. Over in Colossae, they had all kinds of divisions in the church, fighting ethnic groups. And Paul was trying to say, you guys are a new community. You guys are supposed to be different. But yet they were still kind of name-calling. They were using names like barbarian, which was like, a pejorative term like the N-word. They were calling each other Scythian and slave and free and all the previous identities before they became Christ followers were leaking their way like a toxic soup into their church. So Paul writes to them, and these are words for us, y'all. I don't have anything really to say to you today. I've got a lot of opinions I could give you if you're not a Christian, okay? But if you're a Christ follower, you've got to deal with this. This is what Paul is saying to us Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. In this new life, I, don't, we can't, I can't control what happens out on the streets right now. But in your life and in our life together, it's a new, supposed to be a new deal, a new community, a new family, new rules here. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, got this religious mark or that religious mark, barbaric, uncivilized, whatever name calling you want to do, slave, free, rich, poor, black, white, Asian, Latino, big, small, fat, skinny, doesn't matter. Christ is all that matters and He lives in all of us. We've got to deal with that. At a heart level, under our skin. And you got to live like that's the way it is. Now, let's be, let's be clear on this. Ethnic and cultural differences aren't obliterated. They're embraced. We're not saying, oh, deny your background. We're all the same. Political correctness says nobody gets to be special here. The church says, no, no, no. That's all screwed up. Everybody's special. You celebrate everyone's heritage and everyone, and the beautiful kaleidoscope on the mosaic, that, that comes together and that's what makes it beautiful. I don't think we appreciate sometimes how the gospel came not just to give individual tickets to heaven, but to pull people together across all kinds of divided lines. You realize how much the Jews and the Gentiles hated each other, and for good reason, I guess. There were some pretty deep walls between them. I mean, the Jews had experienced so much enslavement and brutality and oppression at the hands of Gentiles. Think of it. The Egyptians. Remember that? Captivity? The Assyrians. 
Overtook them, beat the stuffings out of them. Babylonians, captivity. The Macedonians, those dirty Greeks. Romans had their boot on their neck for so long. I mean, oh my gosh, those were all Gentiles. The last people they wanted to do life with was a bunch of Gentiles. They were also considered religiously unclean, right? And that deepened the divide when you think of someone as an infidel or as a pagan or a heathen. That everything that they did was an abomination to everything they held most dear in their faith. So there's a big divide. According to the literature, as far as most Jews were concerned, Gentiles were just considered fuel for the fires of hell. That's kind of strong. It is said that a Jew would not help a Gentile woman who was struggling in childbirth because they didn't want to be responsible for bringing another Gentile into the world. If a Jew married a Gentile, they didn't so much have a wedding, they had mostly a funeral. Because that son or daughter was now dead to mom and dad. So this also went both ways. Jews were considered by the Gentiles as less than human. Especially with the Greeks and the Jews. Whew. Cicero said there were only two kinds of people. Greeks and barbarians. Greeks can be snobs like that. It's hard when you're the supreme race not to look down on other people. That was a joke. But not everyone's as humble as I am when you're Greek. And it's hard, it's hard to be humble when you're Greek. But you get the problem. Are you, seeing the, are you seeing the issue here? In the first century, racism, sexism, ethnocentrism, classism, hatred, division, injustice, brutality, oppression, and lots of racial lines and division. In other words, it was just like reading the Aegis. Or worse. Then and now, there was this big dividing wall of hostility between tribes and the stereotypes and the strife and the stuff down deep in their heart. And that's why Paul just reminds them and us what God has done. God has entered into that broken, prejudiced world and he has brought an avenue of peace. And it's not through political change. It's not through legal stuff. You know what it is? It's it's Jesus. It says this in Ephesians 2.14. He is our peace. He is our peace. And He has made two groups into one new person and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. That dividing wall that runs through all of our hearts sometimes that we have to get shoved right through. Remember when Jesus died on the cross? The temple curtain was torn in two. And they saw that dividing wall all the time in the temple. As you went by the temple where God resided deep in the center of the Holy of Holies, where his presence was most acutely experienced, way out on the outer courts, the Gentiles could walk by and look at it from a distance. And then there was, there was an outer court where they could go. But then there was a wall. And if you were Jewish, you could go through. And now you're on the inside and they're on the outside. And if you were a woman, you would stay there in the outer court of women. But if you were a man, Jew, you would just go through that next gate, that next curtain, and you'd step right on in. And if you were a priest, you'd go past the next dividing line. And if you were the high priest, only you would go into the inner holy of holies where the presence of God really was. And see, when Jesus died on the cross, that temporal curtain was torn in two and everything got reversed. And now, nearest to the heart of God is not one and everyone else far away. It's all reversed and everyone gets in. 
to the closest holy of holies where God is through the blood of Jesus Christ. He brings us all together. All the walls come down one at a time and all of God's people are brought together around the throne of Jesus. The curtain has to come down if there's one still remaining. Fred Craddock tells how he used to go home to visit his old home place in West Tennessee way back in the day, like late 1950s, a long time ago. He had a friend named Buck who owned a little restaurant in that small country town. He'd go visit Buck and sit down for a cup of coffee and a piece of pie once in a while. Old high school friend. One time he visited and Buck said, let's go someplace else for coffee. They went across town, sat down. And Buck said to Fred, Buck who owned the restaurant, he said, did you see the curtain? And Fred said, yeah, I saw the curtain. I always see the curtain. He was talking about the curtain that existed in those days. Some of, the, some of the buildings in town were called shotgun buildings because they had an entrance out front and an entrance out back with a curtain in between by the kitchen. The whites, they came in off the street. And the blacks, they came in off the alley. And the curtain was in between. He says to Fred, do you see the curtain? He says, I saw the curtain. Buck says, that curtain has to come down. Fred said, well, good then. Take it down. Buck said, who do you think you are coming in here telling me how to run my business? I can't take that down. Well, Fred said, well, fine, then leave it up. Buck said, I can't leave it up. Fred said, well, then take it down. He said, I can't take it down. And he was torn there, you see. Tough spot. Doing nothing was just as miserable he had come to recognize as doing something. Finally, Buck said, you know what? If I take it down, I'm going to lose a lot of customers and probably my business. But if I leave it up, I'll lose my soul. I think he was feeling a little shove. And I feel like all of us probably have a curtain like that somewhere that we've kind of gotten used to and accepted. But God's bringing change and a shove toward love. And if you've got a curtain in your heart or your home or your mind of prejudice or exclusion, it needs to come down, not just so you don't lose your soul, but so that God can make your life different by being a peacemaker and a lover through you. So accept that push and that nudge in that direction. Can I suggest some ways that maybe we could get shoved and pushed on this? I hope you'll just ask yourself, what, what can I do? What would be different about what I could do? I'm just going to give you a few practical things, and next week we're going to just do some practical things and wrap this thing up. But can I just offer you some things that I really believe if we would do what I'm going to suggest, it would be game-changing. Okay? You ready for this? You open to this? All right. Okay. One, you know what I think we need a lot more of is humble listening. Just on this issue and in general, but I think we need a lot of humble listening. Humility, man, we need some humility. Humility is a gentle outlook that doesn't assume that me and my experience is the only one that matters or is normative and therefore everyone else is an outlier or a weirdo. 
Philippians 2 says, consider others even before you consider yourselves. Humility will mean we don't need to shout to be heard as much as we can listen to understand. There's so much that whites and blacks, for example, don't get about each other. And some of it is we just keep kind of shouting at each other instead of just humble listening. Everyone's a little crazy, right? But you don't ever understand why someone is crazy if you never humble yourself enough to listen to them. Usually people are crazy for a reason. And when you kind of shut up and listen once in a while, we can figure out why someone does something that seems crazy to us. Blacks and whites on the whole getting pulled over by the police thing. They're miles apart, but it's because we don't listen to each other's experience. We just want to argue about who's right. You don't even have to figure out who's right, but can you just listen and humble yourself enough? Because that's where love comes. It's not easy. It's easier to keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing what I'm doing. Status quo. But I think we need to walk in each other's shoes enough to allow our suspicions and our mistrust to give way to love. That's a shove in a direction we can use. When I listen, it allows me to suspend my disbelief for a minute. In other words, when I hear something from a Latino's experience, I may not believe it. And the reason I don't is because it's not my experience. But if I can humble myself enough, I might just entertain the possibility that it might actually be true. But instead, what we tend to do is say, well, it's not been my experience, therefore it can't be yours. It didn't happen to me, therefore I don't think it happened to you. So I don't understand when you talk about your experience at Walmart or your experience with getting rent or something like that. And then people who already feel a little bit slighted feel dismissed even more because we're just like, well, that can't be true because it wasn't my experience. What we need, friends, is humble listening. Does this make sense? Thank you for humbly listening. You know what else we need a lot of? Wise sensitivity. Wise sensitivity. We need wisdom on this because there's a lot of foolishness out there on this issue, isn't there? We need wisdom because you've got to be smart about what you're hearing and whether it's even true or accurate. We've got to filter things through the Word of God. That's where wisdom comes from. We have to realize that when you're gathering information, you are in formation. You see what I'm saying? When, wherever you're gathering information, it is forming you. So be wise about that. Much of the news is not news. It's just a bunch of propaganda with bozos on extreme poles shouting at each other because they've got to fill the time. We've got 700 channels. We've got to put somebody on. And we call it news, but it's often not. And we need to be sensi sensitive then, wise and sensitive at the same time. Sensitive when there's real hurt around the issue, even if you don't hurt. Sensitivity means I'm alert to the pains of others. It's compassionate. When someone dies, as probably will happen over some race issue, can we just not have the first things we talk about be race and politics and police stuff? For crying out loud, can we recognize that there somewhere, whatever skin color they might be, is a mother who's grieving? And that we have shared a loss to the human family? That's wise sensitivity. And you know what else we could use a lot of? Kindness. Just good old-fashioned kindness. Now, kindness is not soft weakness. It takes great strength to be kind, which is why most people aren't. But we need a lot more kindness because there's way too much inconsiderate jabber and nastiness. I love this quote from Frederick Buechner. Although kindness is not the same thing as holiness, it's awfully close. 
And I think it's true. It's pretty much what it means to be holy, is to be kind. You look at God in Exodus 22, don't treat the aliens badly. He says, you were aliens and I was kind to you, so be kind to the strangers and the foreigners in your land. Deuteronomy 22, take care of the outsiders, the people who are poor, you know, and take care of each other. Why? Because if you want to be holy, he says, you, I'm holy, you be holy. What does that look like? Be nice to the outsiders. Be, be kind to people who aren't like you. That's what it looks like to be holy. So this is why 1 Corinthians 13 says, same thing, love. It means you've got to love each other. We think 1 Corinthians 13 is like a Valentine's Day card or a wedding text to read with doves flying and music playing on an organ or something at a wedding about how soft and gentle. You know what? This is a text written for, for people who were feuding with each other and were contentious. And Paul begins 1 Corinthians 13. He says, you can do all kind of religious stuff to impress everybody all the time. You can have faith to move mountains. You can be a pastor, preacher. I don't care. You can serve your guts out. But you know what? If you don't live the life and love someone really from your heart, you're all just a waste of time. You're just a big na- like a big noisy Christian radio station turned up on full and nobody wants to hear it. So love, he says. Well, what does that love look like? And then he gets to the heart of it. Listen to this text. Not like it's a wedding text. This is a race text. Here's what it says. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. What if we filtered every Facebook post through this passage? It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Even if it disagrees with my political stance. Love never gives up, it never loses faith, it's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. We could use a little more kindness, don't you think? Last, you know what we need? We need... We need lots of things. We need repentance, forgiveness, and some other things, but I'm just going to close with this. We need personal ownership on this. This has got to be more than an issue that we're supportive of. It needs to be something we're personally invested in. Now, we care about it. My prayer is that you would feel and hear from God and know that there's a shove in your own life somehow for you to do something, to reach across the line, to make a friend, to open your home, to change a view, to bring a curtain down. Because in so doing, you fulfill the law of Christ. And this, my friends, is the hope for change. Sometimes I'll talk about this and people will say, but Ben, you're forgetting there's a huge systemic issue here. There's lots of injustice that's written into society. Well, of course there is. Lots of big macro stuff to talk about. And it's easy to become discouraged and overwhelmed by all that. But you peel that back, you unwind it however you want, and you tell me how you think things change. I'll tell you one thing, it ain't going to happen by starting at the top with government and politics and law and schools. It happens when the gospel seeds itself in an individual heart where a dividing wall of hostility comes down and we model something that's different, where you and I reach outside of our comfort zones and model for the world what it looks like when we do more than just get along, but we love each other like Jesus has loved us. It happens under our skin. We recognize that under our skin, we're all family in Christ, one person at a time. All that is needed for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing, it's been said. And I hope that you won't be one of those people who does nothing. But accept the push off your tush.
a little shove toward love. And let me leave you with this. This maybe can be your mantra. I am only one, but I am one. And I can't do everything, but I can do something. And the something I can do, I must do. And by God's grace and power, I will do it. And I hope you do. Let me pray for you. God, we pray that you would make us brave, make us courageous, make us loving as we listen with humility and are wise and sensitive and kind, as we try to figure out how we're supposed to own this at whatever level. God, have your way with us, not just on the surface so we look good, but deep under our skin where you move us where we need to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.